This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. everyone welcome back to another episode of lead singer syndrome or perhaps this is your first time listening to the show which welcome again to a podcast where i your host shane told talks to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock band now today we have episode number 46 if you can believe it it's crazy we're coming up to the one year mark almost approaching And today's a bit of a milestone episode because this episode is the first time we have a returning guest. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome back to the show, Mr. Aaron Gillespie of Under Oath and of course of The Almost and also his solo career, which he has a new record out called Out of the Badlands, which we talk about in this podcast. But what's cool about this is when we talked last time, which was back in January, I think, or February Under Oath hadn't played a single note together yet. They hadn't gotten together. They hadn't practiced. They had announced the shows that they were coming back. They had announced the reunion, but they hadn't actually played music together. So now they've been on tour for most of this year. They've played huge festivals. They've done a headlining tour. So it was great to catch up with Aaron and see how that all went. Anyways, before we get to Aaron, I want to say thanks for the support as always. Every week I do this. Every week I enjoy it more and more. I have so much fun. And it's really cool to get all the feedback from you guys. I'm back on Facebook. (laughs) I took a bit of a hiatus. I didn't reply to messages for, oh, I don't know, like eight months. So if you want to get in touch with me, go to our Facebook page. I think it's facebook.com slash lead singer syndrome, but I'm not really sure. But I'm sure if you search in the Facebook stupid box, I still kind of hate Facebook. I I won't lie, but I'm back on there. If you search for it, you will find it. Feel free to like the page, uh, send me a message on there. I will try to get back to you. Um, and we'll be doing some other things with Facebook. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of Facebook live stuff they're doing, which is cool. And also, um, we're going to start a fan club, uh, for lead singer syndrome. And that way, if you guys want to support the show, 
you know, more than just by listening to it, by writing an iTunes review, um, and of course the uh, Amazon affiliate link, which I know a lot of you have been using and I appreciate. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you want to pay a monthly subscription and get a little more, you can. We're going to have some merchandise. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff with the show. So I'm really, really excited. And I think Facebook is going to be kind of where that kind of links and where that gateway is. So go to Facebook, like the Lead Singer Syndrome page. That's step number one. And of course, you know, we have all the other social media too. We're on Instagram at Lead Singer Syndrome, Twitter at Lead Singer Sin, and Snapchat, which I am on all the time because I secretly really, really like Snapchat. So follow me on there. It's real Shane told. And of course, if you're an old school kind of dude or dudette, feel free to email me. It's leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. And as I was mentioning, the Amazon affiliate link, I mention it every week. It does really help. So if you buy anything online at all, if you use Amazon, all you got to do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That will take you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal. You won't even know anything happened, but you'll be in. And then everything you buy, we get four to 6% of that. And it costs you nothing. So once again, that link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. In another news for me personally, Silverstein just played our 2000th show last night in Kyoto, Japan, a pretty huge milestone for me. And and when I start thinking back to my career with Silverstein and all these shows we've played and all these places we've been, it is pretty cool. And I celebrated a little bit last night. I might have had some Japanese whiskey. So if my voice sounds a little uh, under the weather, that is why. Anyways, hey, let's get into this episode. Here it is with the always entertaining and very candid, Aaron Gillespie of Under Oath. Maybe we, why don't we sit right here for half an hour? I will speak of what a waste I am. Hey, dude, how are you? I'm fucking tired, man. How are you? What's up? Why are you tired? Just it's been a crazy summer, dude. <laughs> yeah, it has been, dude. I mean, I'm I'm in Florida. Um, just we had a couple. We had Riot Fest last weekend, and then yeah, we have a couple couple more festivals this week. So we've been practicing, and it's hot as shit. And now I remember why I moved away. <laughs> yeah, dude, you've had like. A whirlwind of a year, man. Like I don't, I, it's crazy. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I, I said yes to too much. I think maybe. I mean, it's funny. Like uh, you know, you're you're the first two time guest I've had on my podcast. You're the first. Really? You're the first part two. Yes. And you don't have any. You don't have any like sound effects or anything to like. Do, do, you know. do, do, do. No, uh, ah. I don't have no. I don't have anything. Although I'm, you know what? I'm just for that. I'm gonna put some in like right now, just in that spot. Yeah. Just, yeah, just you, now you have to edit those in. Yeah, I'm gonna edit. Oh, there'll be a shitload. Get ready. Yeah, they're they're coming. Just uh, so many. <laughs> it's gonna be ridiculous. But no. But it's it's funny because like you know some people have, ha, you know people that do podcasts. They have a lot of times they have the same guests on all the time. And a lot of times it's like, well, what's been new? And it's like, oh, you know, not much, like same old. Whereas like with you, it totally makes so much sense. We can have another conversation because literally before, literally the last time we talked, 
you hadn't even practiced with under oath yet. No, it's 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 a. It feels like I talked to you five years ago. <laughs> I bet it does. It doesn't feel like long at all for me, but for you, it it must because you've had I don't even know how many shows you played with under oath, how many different cities you've been in, all those festivals. It's been wild. How, how's it How's it been for you? Man, it's interesting. I, I think we we may have talked about this a little bit uh, in Toronto because you guys came out to that show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I think you know, I think we even agreed on this, but I think it's interesting because when you're in a band that's popular like our bands were when you're young, you know, it's it's one thing. And then when the band's still, I mean, you guys are still really successful. You know, like Under Oath is still Under Oath is wildly successful still, which is bizarre to me, but I, I'm thankful. You know, like sure, I, it's so much better post 30 though to be successful and to be in a band that that you've been in for that long does that make sense do you know what i mean like I yeah think- it, it, it does make sense it makes sense to me but can you explain why you think that is okay i think that i think that when you're in your early 20s and you have some success like and and this may sound crass a bit but i'll explain like <laughs> you care you care too much about it you care too much about all of it and not that i don't care about our music and my own music and but now it's like, this is what we do. You know what I mean? Like, and we go home to different homes and to different lifestyles, but like, this is what we do. And we can meet in the middle on this and we don't have to obsess over every tiny right. in- instance that comes up socially um, or even musically, you know, now it's like, like, what do we do that's best for the performance? What do we do that's best for this? You know, what do we do that's best for that? And we do it and then you move on. You know, it's not like a two week process about like, Oh, we want this video content and well the bass player doesn't like this video content, so we should change the whole thing. Now it's like, yeah, this looks great for the show. Let's you guys want to get a beer? You know what I mean? Like it's it's right. it's just a it's a vi- it's so much easier to exist in an atmosphere like the one that Silverstein and Under Oath came up with like post 30. I just believe that. I it's, really do. It's super fascinating to me. I just um yeah, do you think that's just a matter of going through the trials and tribulations and having things like, you know, kind of fuck up and then just getting through it and being like, well, it was okay. So now like, you know what, if everything fucks up, you know what, we're going to be okay. So there's no point really worrying. It's, it's that. And there's, there's the social lean too. Like when you go out with Silverstein, now I know what goes through your head. You want to play kick-ass shows and you want to hang out with your friends. That's it. That's That's, it. There's no like, there's no like two weeks ago, you called me a dick in practice or, you know, like, we spent ten grand on the crew when you said we were going to spend eighty six hundred dollars. Now let's talk. <laughs> and now, now let's let's bitch at each other about it. You know that stuff now is like, man, do you just want to go get a beer? Like, you know, we shouldn't have spent that much money, but who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a whole other, it's a whole other lean on that lifestyle that's so much more um, applicable to getting older. And I guess you're right. You know, your give a shit meter kind of goes away. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I don't mean that. I, I mean, like, you're give a shit in, in terms of like you being able to get through it and knowing that, like, even if the worst possible thing at a show happens, right? Like, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, you're not scared of it anymore because it's already happened to you before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you times. know it's going to be fine. And you know, at the end of the show, you're still going to have everything that you had before, regardless, it, almost regardless of what happens. That's such good insight because you remember when like, like, you know, something would go down 10 years ago and you were like, oh my God. And then after the show for two days, like you obsessed over it and that's all anyone talked about for 48 
freaking hours. Yep. And then and then now it messes up, and you're like, you know what, man? That kid was pumped. Like those thousand people or however many people there were freaking stoked. So who cares? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, and you just you you just skip right over it. You know what I mean? Like, because tomorrow it'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, or it won't. But I'll still have my dick and balls. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> it's it's just different than it used to be. You know. Well, you guys have always had an interesting dynamic in your band because. You know, everybody can play the veto card in Under Oath. That's like one thing that doesn't exist in most most bands. I know, like Tim was always the business guy. You know, you had a Still big is. voice. Yeah, Still is. Spencer obviously being you know the front man always you know cares about those things. Um, Grant, James, uh, Chris to a lesser extent have kind of gone with the flow a little bit more. But at the same time, if Chris says no, nope, don't want to do that, then you guys say okay, and everyone has veto power, which is kind of crazy makes things very difficult but also kind of makes sure that it's about the art and that everybody's on the same page right. and everyone believes in it now my question is has that changed and not in a bad way just because people are just like you know what whatever like i don't care as much about that i'm just here to play music have fun and hang out with my friends it it, it has changed actually and, and 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 not not in the way that you think it would like it's changed in the sense that so Spencer and I have always written all the lyrics together, you know. So we would write the music as a band, yeah. And then Spencer and I would like sit in my car. The last two Under Oath records, we sat in my car for like weeks during recording and would write, you know, all the melodies and lyrics together. Like all of the, I kept all of the the papers and journals we've written from Chasing Safety on. Wow. It has both of our handwriting in it. So we kind of have always, people don't realize this, we've kind of always operated as one person because we're always together, you know, and we're always doing these things together. So our veto is basically one unit because we're typically, I mean, nine times out of 10, we're typically in agreement. Yeah. So there's that, which people don't realize. And then there's also the fact that now, you know, Tim has three kids. Chris has three kids. Um, I have a child. James has two kids. Um, so, so there's that whole thing. So now there's the, the element of like, and, and Spencer and I are the only full-time musicians in the band. So it, now it's different, you know, back in the day, it was like, everyone had that veto because it was, it was, that's, it's all any of us did, you know, but now Chris has a full-time job. Tim owns like eight businesses at all times. I never know what the hell he's doing. (laughs) Um, you know what I mean? James, James, James operates and manages the print shop for one of the biggest merch companies in the country. You know what I mean? So these guys are busy as shit. So there still is that thing on a level, like you're saying, but now it's more like, I don't know. It's more like, what do you guys think? Is this cool? Okay. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's less like, well, I don't like that that so we're not doing it at all now it's like well that's not the coolest thing but if you guys think so that's the coolest thing to me but if you guys think so uh we're down you know what i mean it's right. it's more like it's more like that now so it's a bit looser um than it used to be and i think obviously again there's the post 30 thing like it just comes with age of saying i've got three kids so obsessing over a video content like on a monday night is just not my problem right. you know what i mean like yep. it's just not like, give it to one of the guys that is traveling in another band. He's living that life right now. Let him deal with it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, so, which has been, which has been interesting. You know, it's, it's, is, is irritating as the Beto thing was for so many freaking years. 
Like, and, and it's, it was wonderful, but it was a pain in the ass. So now it's, it's less of a pain in the ass, but it almost feels different to the point where you're like, are we the same? Well, I guess, yeah, we're the same, but it, we're not. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I think that's taken a lot of pressure, you know, off of our social lives, off of our relationships, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, well, yeah. you know, one thing when I talked to Spencer, uh, on the podcast, he kind of said, you know, when we started out the band and we were young, we were all like kind of the same dude. And he sure. meant that in that, that everybody sort of hadn't found their identity yet, you know? Yeah. And he said yeah. that, that kind of as the, as you guys went on and on and you traveled the world more and you met more people and you learned more, you became smarter and you became more mature. People started to form their own opinions and people started to have their own, you know, friends and their own relationships and, and their own children. Right. And then right. everybody sort of split apart. And I think what Spencer said is at first, a lot of people were, were saying, well, we're not a unit anymore. You know, we're not like as close as we were. Um, but I think, and in some ways he attributed that to the breakup of the band. Um, you know, and especially the, the, you know, dropping the Christian moniker and all that, um, you know, all that stuff contributed to it. But now, you know, you guys have had time apart, you guys have reflected on it and now it's like post 30, it's okay that you're not all the same dude anymore. In fact, it's probably right. better for you guys just it to respect better. each other. It is better, but it, it, you know, for a while, like, like I'm saying, it feels weird that things are different, but it's, it's how it has to be because we tried to stay the same for so long that one person would have a view and it was like catastrophic, you know, a, di a different social right. view or religious view or lifestyle view or whatever. And it was catastrophic. It was the end of the band always, which I think ultimately, and obviously I left long before Spencer did, but like before the band broke up, I mean, but yeah. that was, I mean, that was the beginning of the end, you know, in a sense where it was like, I, I just, you know, we are all such different people. So trying to keep it cemented to this one type of, social stance or spiritual stance is impossible you know yeah. what i mean like do, do you believe the same shit that billy does probably not absolutely you know not. what i mean no. like sure that, i mean and that that's the i mean that's the that's 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 how that's what makes a great band though i think is you have all these different people that form a unit for an hour or a night and and people all over the world get to see that and that's what makes it special and we were so confused for so long thinking we all had to be the same and offer the same things and it was great when you're 21 years old, but when you're 31, like that doesn't work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, what, how, what are you, 34, 35? I'm 35 now. Yep. Yeah. So we're all the same age. So Spencer and I are the babies. We're 33. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where like, you just can't, you can't do business that way. You can't do relationships that way. Even, I mean, even inter-friend relationships, like as buddies, you can't. You can't do that way. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, your band would have imploded years ago if you had to do things that way. No, you know, absolutely. so I think, I think that's the answer is like, it is better that it's that way. No. You know, and, 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 you know, dropping the Christian moniker thing, I think I get asked that more than anything. People are like, are you guys hate God now? Like, oh, uh, you're, <laughs> you know, I heard you say shit, so you must be going to hell. And the bottom line is not, not everyone in, in Under Oath is a Christian. You know, so for us to have that moniker for so long, um, I think that was volatile and not saying that's a bad moniker to have because we all have different beliefs. But, you know, having people to feel like they had to live up to something they didn't even believe in is something that is like very, very, very socially, emotionally dangerous, I think, you know. 
Well, nobody so. wants to live some kind of lie, you know? I mean, you know, it's, right. it's no fun to have every, you know, you're going out there, you're playing music for people that you love, you know? You love them, mm-hmm. they love you, that you have this mutual respect and love for each other. You don't want to be living some kind of lie where they all think you're this kind of person and you're really not, you know? Or right. you believe in this this thing that they believe so strongly in and you don't. So I think it's important for, for bands to come clean about that stuff, you know, especially when it's something that you put out there early on because people change and opinions change and beliefs change. They, they do. And, and that's something that I think that we all, it was a hard pill for us all to swallow. But now yeah. again, with the post post 30 thing, we can look at each other and go, yeah, like we're not going to hold any labels anymore because some of us don't feel the way that we did when we were 18 years old, which is a completely natural progression of becoming a man. You know what I mean? I'm not saying of course. that. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're right or we're wrong. I'm just saying that for us, that that was what we had to do to push forward and make the art be first. Right. You know that what I mean? Journey, like that was the journey that you took because of your art. I absolutely and, and understand that. that. I, think, I think that any, and I'm not like patting ourselves on the back, but I think that anybody in this industry that's worth their weight and salt is going to be honest. You know what I mean? Like. Like, you don't write lyrics down for your band that are a lie. You know what I mean? Like, if you did, you'd be living some sort of special hell. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, I think that's kind of what happened, to be honest. Wow. You know what I mean? And which, which I think is why it's so wonderful for us to, to be where we are now, back doing this again. Because in the, in the, in, I can see it and feel it at these shows because the people are like, oh, this is really just about what these guys do. You know, it's not about a social stance or a spiritual stance. And some of us still believe those things, um, but some of us don't. And I, I, I think it was unfair to those that didn't, um, you know, to live underneath something that they didn't believe in. That sucks, sure, you know? So, and, and I think, I think that's been a big, you know, not saying, ah, we pulled back on our roots. So now we're better for it. You know, I, I just think that growing up and being honest with that progression yeah. is, is the safest way to go in terms of your health, the mental health and social health and all of the above. I agree, man. Um, so last time we talked, like I said, you hadn't even physically played any under oath songs yeah. on drums. You haven't, <laughs> you hadn't sang them and you hadn't played drums and sang them at the same time. Now, uh, how was that when you started practicing? Um, yeah. Tell, tell me how that all worked out. Uh, it was, um, it was interesting at first, you know, because I had spent the, the previous few years only doing my solo thing and playing drums for Paramore. Yeah. So I had been singing more than I ever sang before and playing drums more than I ever had played drums before, but not putting the two together. <laughs> so I, I actually made these Aaron Gillespie karaoke tracks where I took out <laughs> the two instruments that I play in Under Oath and uh, did them you know, over and over again. And the first week was like, I could, I could do either one. Great. Um, but putting them together was another, a whole other thing. Um, but in the end, I think I just kind of like, I, I don't think it really locked for me till I got in the room with the guys, Yeah. you know, and then, you know, you know, when you play with your band, like you feel when it's right, you know, it's almost like some sort of sport where, you know, when you threw the spiral or whatever, you know, <laughs> sure, like sure. I, it, it felt, it felt, semi-normal um and then you know spencer and i came to florida for almost a month to get ready for that tour um 
And I, I think two weeks in is when I really felt like it clicked, you know, and, and people have been so gracious, you know, like all the reviews I've seen for those shows and, you know, people are like you're better than you ever have been. The yeah, band is well, better you than it's ever, you, you know, are. which is so bizarre to think about, like, because when we started, it did not feel that way. I was like, oh, shit, like, we got to get through these songs, you know. But now, and now it feels like that we've all grown as musicians and as people, like, so now we can really fully realize kind of what those songs were as opposed to, like, the social bullshit, you know, teamed in with trying to play the parts right. Now there's no social bullshit. So you can just go do your thing and it's awesome. And well, I think that's yeah. why it's better, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, so, I really do. Well, some of the songs you never even played live before. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. How was like, that figuring them out for the first time and since you played them in the studio? And like people don't always know, like when a band records a song in the studio, that doesn't necessarily mean the band knows how to play the song. You know? Like sometimes oh. sometimes one guy played everything, maybe mm-hmm. except the drums and the guy sang it and it was all cut together and no one, the band was never in a room playing that song. So were there songs like that for you guys? And, and how was that working out the bugs in those ones? We were lucky with under oath because those, those two particular records, we all wrote together in a room like the music, but right. Spence, Spencer and I would have like vocal melodies and then a set of lyrics and we put it all together and then just do it. And he might be out, out, you know, somewhere else while I was doing it and vice versa. So now, to put them together, you know, and then realizing the the thing that I screwed up with with those records was I would sing all this crazy shit on the records and having the drums done three weeks before. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So, so that was the hardest part for me, especially the songs we had never played. Cause the other ones, you know, like writing on the walls and songs like that, the drums are difficult, but I figured out these workarounds, you know, to kind of be able to play it and sing it and make it sound like the record and where people can go, Oh, that's dope. But there was a lot of things that I had to just literally start from zero. And it was weird starting from zero on a song that you wrote when you were 20, you know, at 33 years old. Sure. You know, because yeah. you, you, you literally felt like you were living outside of your body. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, songs that we hated, especially on Chasing Safety, songs that we hated, like Downset Go, um, I'm Content With Losing, these tracks that were big fan favorite songs that we just did not like to play. That we never, so we never even tried. Um, and having this type of tour where you're like, we're going to play these two records, you know, soup to nuts, front to back. Yep. It was awesome because it forced us to do it. And then we realized how much we loved, still loved those songs. Yeah. 13 years later, you know, one, that song Downset Go in particular is one of our most downloaded and streamed songs. And we had never, ever, ever played it until the beginning of that tour. Um, and now it's like one of our favorite songs to play. Live. That's amazing how that happens. Eh? How those things it's take those transitions. 13 years though, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's crazy, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, it was weird, but I think that, again, you know, I, I think the social thing played so much into our demeanor as a band because we're such, without the running the risk of sounding like an idiot, we're such emotional people, you know? So, I think the social aspects and our social distrust in each other and our social distrust kind of aided and abetted to us, like, not letting songs happen that we should have played live and et cetera, et cetera. And now again, post 30 with this being the way that it is, it's so much easier to go back and relearn all that stuff and then kind of put your, your, a little bit of your maturity into it and kind of lean into it in a different light. Like this is an entity. This isn't who I am, but this is an entity that I created. So I can kind of go outside of myself for a minute and do this and have it make sense. You know? Yeah, that's, that's right, man. Um, so what, uh, what were some of your favorite shows on this tour? Um, 
Gosh, dude, every show is the best. I feel like every show is the best under oath show we've ever played. Like it, it just it's got really, better. Like each night was it better. Got, it got better each night. That, I mean, some huge standouts were Atlanta. We 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 always wanted to play the Tabernacle coming up, and it yeah. sold out se- seven months in advance, <laughs> and it was just like electric. And then we uh, we sold out Hard Rock Live in Orlando. Awesome. Um, which is like where I saw the Deftones. You know, as a younger person and. Um, it was really those those two shows are the ones that stick out in my mind because they were so like it just felt like it was alive you know it, it was great everywhere honestly I can't you know there wasn't it was just humbling like I don't remember an under oath tour we ever did where there wasn't one sold was where there wasn't one show that didn't sell out and they all did and it was rad the Warfield in San Francisco was rad wow. um, that's a and big a, room, man. Especially it's for a San big Francisco. room. Wow. Yeah, that's a big room. Congratulations, I mean, man. That's thank. Uh, it was dude. It was amazing. Like it was. It was one of those things. And the people, the people are what really, really interested me the most. The fans, like, because I thought going into this, like, you know, I've been playing for Paramore and doing my alt country thing. So I play in three hundred cap bars and in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So f- for for like old under oath fans and dudes with beards that like Ryan Adams, and then for little girls. You know, so to me, when I was when I was thinking about this tour, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be a bunch of old under oath fans, a bunch of old people that, with yep. babysitters," and it was not that. You know, there was there was an element of that, but ninety percent of the crowd. This is crazy. We did this every night at the same point. Spencer asked who had ever seen under oath, and ninety percent of the crowd had never seen under oath every night. And I was thinking, you know, and we we did this VIP thing, you know, every day where two or three hundred people came and met us and and whatever. Yeah, and. A lot of these people were 19 and 20 years old, 18 years old. And, and I would be like, why do you know this music? You know, like you were, you were seven years old when these records came out. You were in second grade, you know, and they were like, well, my brother, my brother showed me this record when he was in high school and I love these records and I just wanted to see it. And that to me was so flattering and made the nights, the nights felt more electric than they ever had because we weren't in it. You know, we were in it, but we weren't in it like we were back then where everyone just, you see everyone in the same cities and blah, blah, blah. But this was like all this new resurgence of people that found the music through their siblings or friends, which is so weird, which literally makes you realize like, oh, this music really did last. Right. You know what I mean? So when not to toot our own horn, but that's a, that's a huge deal. You know, that 10 years down the road, someone who is the same age as their brother was when the record came out, they can listen to the same record and find the same things in it and look for this look for the same experiences live and behave the same way that they did 10 years ago that their siblings did who are now you know lawyers and doctors or whatever and what do you attribute that to like like do you think it's just the fact that you wrote great songs that you there was something magical about the way those records were put together or the performances like what what do you think it is about those first well not first two records but those two records that you played um that really were so special and continue to be special and will continue to be special to generations. Uh, I, I think, I think a lot of it comes back again to what we were talking about earlier, the social aspect where we all kind of wore our hearts on our sleeves and we put out this music that we wholeheartedly believed in. You know, it wasn't like I, this without running the risk of sounding like a bigot, like we never wrote a song or, or, or played a part and we had a thought like, oh, everyone will sing along to this. It was always like, this is the best thing we can do right now. It was never like, oh, this is this will be a big warp tour sing along part, or this will be a big taste of chaos. Sing-. It, that never happened. 
it was always like, we think this is the best thing we can do. So you attribute it to, in some ways just to being honest about the way you were writing. Completely, completely. Yeah. I, not in some ways, in every way, you know? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a crazy thing that you have that happen. And I think, I think we discussed that the last, um, the last time we talked about, about you wondering what kind of people were going to come out and you figured it'd all be 30-year-olds. And I kind of yeah. said to you, I don't know, man, like, you're going to be surprised, um, you know? And you had, uh, you, I, re- I remember that you have a different insight into that though, because your band never broke up. Right. That's and true. Now, that's I, very true. I mean, we played that show last year where I played in the small room solo and you guys were in the other room and it was sold out. And I was like, it, it's interesting to me that, and I think the same thing probably happened with Silverstein where you guys are all great dudes and you did what you believed in. And so now post 30, all of their little brothers and little sisters are there. You know, I, I watched you guys that night and was like, this is bizarre. This feels like 2006. I know. I thought, I thought for sure when I walked over there, everyone's going to be some old shithead with a beard. You know, like they got a sitter and came and watched Silverstein, but it was not that at all. No, and, it and was, it's true. For our band, it, it really has, you know, what's the joke? Like, I get older, they stay the same age, you know? Like, it's yeah. really true, though. It really is true. And, and I mean, I'm sure the average age has ticked up a little bit, but for the most part, it's, it's very, very common for... 15 16 year old kids to be at our shows knowing every word and i'm the same i have the same question as you had is like how did you find out about this and in some ways you know i think um a lot of it too is just some kids uh are interested in where where how they got there you know what i mean how um right you know bring me the horizon who influenced bring me the horizon well I mean, obviously under oath was a big influence on that band you know what i mean so so there is really um that is a real thing that people do care about influences and I think they do want to find, from, find where it came from. That comes from the age of the internet though. We're like, you know, when 10, 12 years ago, it wasn't even like it is now where you can find out where everything comes from. True. You know what I mean? Like you it's can true. go listen to a podcast now and I can tell you my influences, but you know, 15 years ago that didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, or it was in a very, if it did, it was in a very infantile stage. So I think now, I think you're right. I think those kids are like, well, I love, uh, Beartooth. So where did that come from? Right. You know what I mean? Like I love, you know, X band or bring the rise is a great example. Cause they're the biggest band in the world in the genre now. Yep. And it's like, you know, those guys have influences and, and those 15 year old kids want to know, okay, where, where did this start? I got to know, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know when that expires, you know, I, I'm just waiting to see <laughs> when it, when it expires <laughs> or maybe it never will. I, I, you know, I don't know. Cause I know plenty of bands who put out great successful records and had huge successes 10, 15 years ago that can't sell out a 200-cap room now. So I don't know what separates the men from the boys, so to speak. I, I'm just, I'm grateful, hey, you know, but I... That's exactly I why it. I asked you that question about about why you attribute those records to being, you know, that. And maybe it is honesty, you know, maybe it is the fact that they're great songs, um, you know. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the reputation that you guys had for your live show. You know, yeah. that's the other thing that you, that we haven't talked about is like... You know, and I kind of wanted to ask you this, so I'll just ask you now. Like, you know, when you guys were a young band, you know, you're younger, you're full of energy. Uh, was it harder being older and having the same stamina that you have for all? All you know, I'm not just asking you this. I guess for all the guys, was it harder to get through those shows, or do it was, you guys? It was. It was easier. Yeah, easier. It was easier because you know we all like we all live pretty pretty good lives in the sense where you know we don't eat fast food and no one's a fat ass and 
Chris lost a hundred pounds. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, for him, dude, he was like on cloud nine. He's like, I've never felt this good in my life. I can play two more hours. You know, it was one <laughs> of those things. And Spencer sang nonstop. And I've been playing with Paramore for five years, playing two and a half hour shows. You know what I mean? So I think everybody has kind of just grown up in that way too, where it's not like, you know, back in the day you get a, a, a 60 minute set time and you're like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? You know, I, <laughs> I remember true. having that. I remember having that conversation with the guys like we were on festivals back in the day and we had to play for an hour and me going, I can't sing for an hour and let alone, you know, so now it's like we've been doing it so long that it's, it's easier than it was then because it's not as much of a, a, a daunting thing, you know, knowing now that under oath has to play for 90 minutes to two hours. That's just what it is. You know, like people aren't going to pay, you know, $40 or however much it costs and come see us play for 45 minutes and break everything on stage and walk off. Now it has to be a little more calculated. Right. You know what I mean? Like it has to feel the same way, but now we've got to actually do it for real. And I think that, you know, we all just kind of rose to that challenge and um, it honestly felt better than it did back in the day. It was easier, like completely easier, you know? So, mm, yeah. That's- that's awesome, man. No. So you said you're in Florida right now. Um, mm-hmm. You guys are, what are you doing there exactly? Just practicing. We, we did, um, we did Riot Fest last week in Denver. And then we're doing, um, on Saturday, we're doing that chain festival thing. It's like the 20th anniversary of Chain Reaction. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. So it's, it's a big festival in the parking lot of the observatory in Orange County. So it's like um, the three headliners. Um, or Circus Survive, Under Oath, and Coheed and Cambria. Nice. And then, then there's a lot of cool bands like Turnovers playing. And um, I, man, I can't even remember right now. Cool. No, um, I, I didn't hear about that. But it's an all day thing. And then we get on a plane and fly overnight and play at Riot Fest Chicago, which is an insane schedule. But wow, yeah, they do a nice job though. Riot Fest Chicago is a good, really good festival. Yeah, the, um, dude, the Den- the Denver one was sick too, nice. man. We. We played, uh, we headlined like the rock stage and Glassjaw played before us, which was like crazy because they were like our biggest influence back in the day, you know? So to like have Glassjaw play before, I was like, what are we doing here? And Glassjaw was phenomenal. Like this many years in, like, you know, Worship and Tribute, they played that record front to back, the record they put out in 2001 or 2002, whatever year that was. And it was like amazing. Like Daryl looks amazing and like, was all over the stage and it was dude it was really 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 cool and then in in uh in in chicago we thursday plays right before us which is another crazy thought you know because they were another thursday was like the first one i don't know if you remember like that had music videos on mtv of course like understanding a a car crash of course yeah a band with screaming was on mtv and I, i think that gave all of us gas to go well fuck like they did it so why can't we you know what I mean? It's like true. so yeah. It's for, so for us to for them to play before us is a huge another huge like really milestone for us to kind of go wow like this is crazy. That's so, great man. So yeah. are you guys planning on taking this uh shit international? Are you doing more shows? What's the what's the plan right now for for uh the next step with with Under Oath? I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, uh, there is no end right now, but yep. I, 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 I don't, I don't really know what that means. Yep. So, um, but I would love to, I would love to take it all over the place. So I think that, well, you know, think, we were kind of I mean, focused on getting through the year, yep. um, and then kind of seeing what happened, you know? So, 
No, that's that's terrific, and and I I really hope you know as as your friend seeing you, I mean happy again, uh, yeah. stoked again, you know, I, I, like coming out in Toronto and seeing all you guys, um, you know, hanging out in your bus. Like I've never seen you guys be more like a cohesive unit. You know, everyone was hanging out together. You know, it was it was awesome, and then ran into you again in Montreal at the uh, Amnesia Rock Fest. You know? Yeah, and it was again. It was just like so good to see you guys back together. So I really hope you guys can can continue to do some stuff. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are hoping for a new record, uh, uh, you know, and, and all that stuff. So I hope you guys can can pull it together. And I know you guys have busy lives, but hopefully you can. Yeah, I, I definitely know more shows, hundred um, percent. And but as far as anything beyond that, I don't. I don't. We haven't really sat down and kind of, uh, which I think is the beauty of what's going on right now is we haven't really set expectations for ourselves yeah. you know i think it's more like let's just let this happen you know we're not we did we didn't go do like a cash grab reunion one tour that's not our plan yeah. um but beyond you know what's what else has happened i we just haven't sat down and had that conversation like well okay next you know how it is being a band like for two years your manager goes okay next june you're gonna make a record and next spring you're gonna write 12 more songs you know it's just it's not we're not doing that. We're kind right. of just letting letting whatever happens happen, um, and kind of seeing where we where we end up. You know, so yeah, that's awesome. No, um, yeah, not only as a fan of your band, but just friends of you guys. It, it really is awesome to see. Um, well, you got some stuff going on personally too. Uh, yeah. We got to talk about out, out of the Badlands, which yeah. is a solo record, which is kind of an interesting. Uh, it's different because it's not just, okay, Aaron Gillespie wrote 10 songs, here it is. It's kind of a compilation of some Under Oath songs, some The Almost songs, and some new songs, and some covers. Um, yeah. How did, that all, how did that all, this all come together, and uh, what can you tell the listeners about it? Yeah, so I, after Under Oath in 2010, I took a stab at making some faith-based music, um, some like worship-type music, and I did two records and saw some mild success. Um, but pretty much hated the business of it all, to be honest. Like the Christian music world is just not for me, you know, like in, in terms of, I have my beliefs, but uh, just in, in a business sense, like the Christian music world is just something I'm not interested in pursuing. What are the things um, about it that, that bother you? Cause I, I really don't uh, know anything about it. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and there are good people and it don't get me wrong. I'm not being like everyone that plays Christian music is an asshole. Like I, I, I it's just too I don't even know what the word is. It's too showy for me. You know, like you're like, you have to almost look like you live a crispy, clean life and it has to feel that way for you to get to play for you to get played on the radio. And I, I think people kind of hang their expectations of a good life on a Christian musician. Does that make sense? Like you've got the mom driving down the road with four kids and her marriage is falling apart and she's miserable. Um, and she needs to find like an element of hope, which is fine, but also an element of like example of like this person is squeaky clean. You know, like this person is who I aspire to be like because they have a supermodel wife or supermodel husband and they're playing this music that gives me hope. So everything in their life is perfect and their music's perfect and it's all perfect. And I'm just not interested in that. Right. Like I'm just I'm divorced. My life is insane. You know, like I'm happy and I'm 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 doing great, but I, I don't live a super clean life, you know, like and that's that that's not for the listeners to go, oh, shit. Like he's a rebel now. Like that's, it's, it's just <laughs> it's the reality. It's just, it's just not where I'm at or where I ever have been at. So for, for two whole record cycles, I tried to live that life and it almost killed me. Like 
trying to live up to everyone else's expectations because that's what it becomes yeah. to me. I'm not saying that everyone in Christian music is that way, but what I saw, that's what it was. You know, and that has nothing to do with faith or belief in, in anything. That has to do with a social stance that I'm not interested in being okay. involved in. Yeah. So I, but I love playing solo. So I started doing these tours where it was just me and a guitar, a bunch of guitars and, and like a kick drum and sometimes another guy playing keys or, you know, kind of whatever I decided. And I, to kind of make the transition out of playing, you know, only churches and Christian festivals, I started playing bars and clubs and playing like, you know, under oath songs with just me and a guitar, like the ones that were applicable for that and almost songs and me and a guitar and just kind of whatever I felt like doing. Um, and then the owner of, of tooth and nail records came and saw me play, um, a show. And he was like, dude, you have to do this on a record. He's like, this is who you are. This is an example. This is, is a kind of frozen in time example of people to people of what you're actually doing. And I know you're not kind of doing the Christian circuit anymore, but all you have to represent what you are, these two, albums which i stand behind and i love those two records but for me it was like i i need to give an explanation for what i'm really doing um so out of the badlands became that you know and i was i recorded that a year ago and i was going through a divorce and so for me it was sort of like pouring out the shit onto that yeah. record you know what i mean that's where well, you, you can get hear the, i mean i listened to the i listened to it before we talked and and i mean i can hear the pain um yeah it's in a your rough voice. that's a, that was that was a rough rough record and I'm, I'm lucky i own a studio and my my partner who i he engineers all the records that i produce he actually did that record for me and i was a mess dude like a mess like to, i was like you know just sitting on my balcony chain smoking cigarettes every day and he was like do you want to come in the studio man just like record he kind of saved me yeah you know he's like do you want to do you want to come in the studio and like i felt like you know i was home from paramore for a long time and the under oath thing hadn't started and we had been, we had been talking about it, but he was like, dude, like, let's just make music, you know? So I just started to make this record, um, and kind of made it, it's so bizarre. I made that record like over a few months, like at night, like from 10 to like 3 AM, you know, like, just yeah. like, just kind of, instead of like getting wasted and passing out of my couch and being miserable, you know, I kind of channeled it all into that into that record, which is why I, you know, we didn't touch that record. There's no auto tune on the vocals. No, there's defi no, that's definitely, you can tell the, there's a big time rawness in it. Yeah. There's no, there's no editing. You know, it's kind of, I played every instrument. Um, we just wanted it to be this thing that was like alive and kind of, kind of helped ease me from one transition point to another in life. Cool. You know? So, so I think, it's a it's a great timestamp on what I was going through, but it's also a great kind of it's indicative of what I do now solo. I have a tour what actually starts the day after Riot Fest. Cool. Oh, great, um, great. Wow, that's yeah. that's really really jumping in there. Oh, just going right for it. Damn, yeah, no time <laughs> so, off, man. So you know, it's 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 really cool, man. Like I I really believe in that record because I believe that that's kind of who I am as a as a musician. You know, you kind of get to hear even the elements in the Under Oath songs of what I brought to those Under Oath songs. You kind of get to hear it kind of in a solo sense, which I think is interesting for people. You know? It is. So. It is. No, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely get the live. It almost feels like a live record in some ways. The way, yeah. the kind of yeah. the performance, you know, you know, when you sing live, you know, and this is good because this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. So sometimes we actually talk about singing. But, you know, yeah, like, like, like when you <laughs> sing live, 
um, sometimes you're just on the spot. You just kind of change it, right? You're just like, oh, I'll sing right. this melody a little different. Maybe like I, maybe I feel like I can't get up to that note tonight, or maybe I can feel like I can even get up higher than that note, and I can really push it out tonight. You know, right. and it, and that record, it almost feels, it has that feeling to it. Um, when, and, you know, vocally, and, and there are like little notes that you can tell are like, ah, oh, it's a little pitchy, but it, it oh, isn't, yeah. it isn't about, oh, yeah. it isn't about the, the pitch and everything being perfect or you just slap an auto tune on it. It's about the vibe and about really, you know, being expressive in, in those well, songs. Most of vocally, I mean, even all the instruments, but vocally, every, 99% of that record is one takes. It, it, I just needed I needed to do it that way. Like something wouldn't let me. Like I actually started it at one point before we really started it, and I was like going and kind of rehearsing every song and doing these new arrangements. And then I began to just play it like I played those songs live, like solo, you know. Yeah. Um. And and that those mixes won out over like the really realized, sort of pro, done things. You know, I was like, let's put this through great gear. Um, in my studio, which is rad, and let's just do it, and then just put it out. Like, get it mixed and just put it out. Like, some of those songs only have six tracks on them. You know what I mean? Like, there's just yeah, nothing going. Wow. There's nothing going on, and that was the idea. Is like, you know, what does this feel like now coming out of your head? And that was it. So, so with yeah. the songs that the Under Oath, the two Under Oath songs that you um, redid, obviously they're two of your most popular uh, songs. Like, especially with reinventing your exit, I got to ask, like, so you strip that down. Obviously, that song is, you know, on on the record is half you singing and half Spencer screaming. And you kind of take it over and you do all the singing on it. Now, how did you decide what melodies to sing over those screams? Or was that something that you'd always had in your head when you wrote it before you recorded it? Or is it something that you just that kind of exists now? Bizarre osmosis just bizarre osmosis you know i i had been i had been playing these songs live for a few months when i got approached to do this record and that's just i never rehearsed any of this stuff which sounds completely ridiculous but i never rehearsed any of it i just show up with an acoustic guitar and play these songs and over the course of six or seven months that those are just the melodies that i came up with like this is the way i should have done this or what you know like whatever that should have done this yeah, on the record it's yeah. just a scream so there's no melody right. but like there's like it's like a there's I, a weird I, implied melody you know I'm lucky with Spencer because I I've never obviously never been in a band with another dude who screamed but Spencer is very musical with it I don't know how or why he does it the way he does yeah. but I'm thankful he does and I think that attributes also to a lot of under oath successes is you can tell what he's saying you know, it's and and you can kind of there's like a there's like a a, a flow a pentameter to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. that that made it a lot easier because I had been hearing the, these songs for 15 years or 10 years or you know whatever, and kind of hearing the way that he puts them together. You know, and so to me it just made sense because if you listen to the melodies, they're really not far from the screaming. You know, in terms of like you know sil- syllabi- syllables and kind of uh, diction, they're not too far from the screaming but no, they're no but they're they're I, just not you know imagine if you kind of pulled back the airflow a little bit that's what you would get you know what i mean yeah i, I totally get it and, and and it's funny because i actually covered reinventing your exit once acoustic at like a weird it was kind of like an emo night before that was called that you know um in toronto yeah, yeah. many many years ago i was probably like in 2011 and i i learned that song and i covered it and I had the same problem. I was like, well, I don't know what to sing over these screams. 
and I just kind of like did whatever I thought it would be. Right. And really, we came to the same conclusion, which is kind of kind of funny. So I, I, that's why I wanted to ask you that question. It was probably pretty close to what I just recorded. Yeah. Truthfully. No, it is. Yeah, it mean, is. And, and I, I never heard you play it acoustic. I don't know if you ever had before, but I uh, just, you know, I just thought it was well, a funny thing. That's so interesting. I mean, I guess that's that's a big pat on old Spee's back, you know, because like, yeah, it, right, right. You know, he's able to somehow make screaming sing-alongable, which is interesting, you know. I think there's a lot of bands doing that now, but but back then, screaming was like a metal band, you know what I mean? So for him to be able to do that and for it yeah. to stand up as a melody somehow, that's 15 yeah. years later, there is no, you know? there is no melody, but then there is somehow in people's heads. Yeah, it's, it's so impl- wild. It's implied somehow. Yeah, like somehow, right. Right. That's somehow so- he planted that seed, and if you asked him, he would have no idea what we're talking about. But he'd be <laughs> awesome. You know what I mean? Well, the the biggest geniuses never know what they're doing. You know, that's they the, never do. That's they the never thing, do. dude. Um, so with, with Paramore, are you playing with Paramore anymore? Any plans to do that? Or I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, they're off making a record right now. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would, I would always love to, but. My my own life has kind of taken over my life, so I don't, you know, between the under oath thing and this, I don't know if I would have time. I, if if it worked out, I would absolutely love to do it, but I, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's such an honor to play with them, and it's difficult and fun, and and you know, to play some of those venues is such a huge deal. But you know, to me, it's like playing your own music is as a whole other thing, sure. you know. And I think that kind of being back in my old band and doing my own thing is like really fulfilling right now you know and and not to say that i wouldn't love to do the paramore thing i just don't know if time will permit but we'll see you know if they came and asked me i would probably say yes if it worked out you know so yeah cool so uh, this uh solo tour you're going on uh can you plug it a little bit because i think when this goes up people will be around they might want to come out come check it out and they might not yeah it starts it. it starts in boston on the 19th um it's full u.s run um for about a month and it's uh um, Ace from the early November yeah. is, uh, is on the tour and Vinny Corona who we know from the movie Life oh and, what a guy um, yeah great great songwriter great dude so great performer the three too. of us great performer so the three of us just going out uh, just solo so no one has a band um, I don't know what the two of those guys will do I, I, I don't know what songs they'll play I, I haven't talked to either one of them um, but yeah that's, that's uh, kind of the vibe just kind of small clubs um, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of what happens. You know, I did one, I've done two of these now. I did one with, uh, with, um, both of them, the guy from that band all get out was the opener. And then I did one with the state champs guy his speak low, if you speak love thing. And then I did another one, um, with, um, William Beckett from the Academy is, yeah. And he kind of does some solo songs and plays some Academy is songs. And it was both of those tours were just so so fun like i mean the place the places sing so loud because you know everyone kind of plays their old band songs plus some of their new stuff and sure honestly that honestly that's what kind of spurned me making this record were those two tours so well that's that's awesome sounds like a lot of fun and uh yeah give ace and Vinny my best are you headlining this or are you is it like a guy switching Uh, it up or what are you doing i am headlining most of it i think i think ace and i are switching off in a couple places um, but most of it, yeah, yeah. Um, I know definitely in the southeast I'll headline, and in Texas I'll headline. I think Ace might be headlining in like New York and Jersey, um, but I, I don't remember without looking, honestly. No, oh, that's cool. That's cool. 
That's yeah. cool, man. Um, geez, what else? What else to talk to you about? I think I think that we did it. <laughs> I think that we did it. I like that. Um, well, dude, I mean, what a crazy fucking year, man. I just, it's, it is so it's great to catch insane. up with you and, uh, oh, yeah. and just, just like really Always to get the, the bef- to get the before and after, you know, uh, it's, it's, rules. You, you kind of landed, you kind of landed on a gold mine here with your, 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 you're lucky to have this podcast because you're friends with everyone. So, and these, these things just feel like a conversation. You know well, what I mean? This, like we're, this is a conversation. I mean, like I could easily just call you up and say, "Hey, dude, how was you know how are things with with Under Oath? How's everybody doing?" And we could talk for. And it would probably ninety nine percent chance it would sound exactly like this. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yep. You know, you know what I mean. I think that's that's what's such a cool niche that people are able to hear with all these singers of these bands, like because you're already friends with them anyways. Have you interviewed anyone that you don't know yet? Oh yeah, a lot of people. In fact, it's interesting. Like some of them, like like uh, like Keith Buckley. I had never really met Keith Buckley before. Really? Isn't that weird? We never toured together, even though he's from like an hour and a half from me. We have a lot of the same friends. Yeah. And we, we I sat down on the back of his bus. He's like, hey, I'm Shane. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we've been in the same room, but we've never like actually, you know, been introduced. And we had like the best conversation, you know, and now it's we're so friends. It's so odd to you know? me that so, you guys, are, I guess so odd to me you guys weren't friends because he's from Buffalo. I know. He, we're God the same him. age. He's from Buffalo. It's crazy, yeah. So, so a lot of these people. I mean, I had Dennis from Refused. Um, I had Dennis wow. from Refused on the podcast a few weeks ago. I would have been geeked on that. one. Oh, dude, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was super nervous. <laughs> and the funny part was, I did it, and uh, at the end, we were talking, and and he's like, he's like, oh, you're going to Australia. Um, what are you going there for? I'm like, oh, my my pants going. <laughs> he goes. Oh, you're in a band? <laughs> I go, yeah. Holy shit. He didn't even know. He didn't know who I was. He just thought I was like, I guess, a guy I, that does interviews. So, I mean, I was stoked, you know? It's, it's, uh, it, it really isn't just me interviewing my friends on this show. You know, it can be like, you know, obviously, you're a friend, friend of mine I've known for a, like a really long time, but it's not always like that. So, for me, it, it can be really dynamic. That's really cool, though, because I, again, though, the, the you know, even with a guy that didn't even know that you're in a band, it's like you have the element of being a singer in a band for 15 years. So you can, you know, you're not asking questions like, what's your favorite color? Yeah. You know, yeah. where are you from? Where are you from again? You know, it's it's more like questions that 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 you already have the answer to, which I think is the beauty in the whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I know a few of your answers too, Aaron, so. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Well, dude, hey, right thanks on. again, man, so much for doing yeah. this and uh, jumping on the phone with me. And all the best with the festivals coming up, uh, the practicing, the rehearsaling going on. And um, make sure that uh, you let everyone know that I said hello. Yeah, send all your boys my love, too. I will do, Aaron. Talk soon. Yeah, man. Take care. Bye. I think we did it. <laughs> I love Aaron so much, man. He is just one of the best people. And it really is true. Like, you know, when I talk to Aaron, we don't even think about what we should say or shouldn't say. And, you know, him saying, oh, I plead the fifth. Like, who knows what Under Oath's going to be up to. I really hope that they're going to be doing more stuff. And, I mean, he said they're going to be doing more shows. So we can cross our fingers and hope for more new Under Oath music because they really are an amazing band. We got a lot of great guests coming up in future weeks, so please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of these episodes. Like, I'm telling you, we got some 
Really, really huge guests. I'm really, really excited. I think the show is about to take off, and I really, really appreciate you guys being here. Some of you guys being here from the very beginning, which is awesome watching this thing grow. So thank you for being on this journey with me. As we do at the end of every episode, I will leave you with some music. I thought it was really interesting what Aaron said about some of those songs from their Only Chasing Safety never being played live before. And this is one of their most downloaded and one of their most streamed songs. So let's play it right now. Here is Down, Set, Go on Lead Singer Syndrome. Right at the 